Hi, this is Colin Campbell, and this is Incisive Decisive. Incisive Decisive. Incisive Decisive. Dentistry, Ethics, Philosophy. Hi guys, welcome back. My name's Colin Campbell and this is Incisive Decisive. And today, um, on this episode, I think we're going to talk about prethics. Prethics? That's not a word I've heard before, Colin. Ah, that's because I invented it. Oh. In my head. Um, brackets, <laughs> tried to trademark it and they won't let me, close brackets. So prethics is a, is a thing that, that I came up with and I, and I did come up with it because as soon as I thought about it, I googled it. And it wasn't there. Oh, really? And therefore, I invented it. Um, so, um, and some years ago now, um, and it, it went out as a blog post. And so I could, the original blog post, I think, was something like 2014. And um, because I was really, really struggling with the concept of money and healthcare, which I've always struggled with, to be honest. Um, and so I wanted to find a simple way that I could explain to my team and the people that worked with me, how we re- how we reconcile that philosophy and that concept, and and then it grew out to something that I talked about with young dentists and to try and help them get a handle on where they were practicing, um, and then I just kind of talk about it a lot of the time that I talk about dentistry. So, um, and I, th- I think it's quite a simple concept. It's quite useful to to reference back to. So you've heard of it before. Now. I have heard of it before once or twice. Yes, right, we okay. have talked about it before. The idea that um, in a successful healthcare business because that is essentially what we're in we are we are a yeah. profession but we're also a bit of a business bit of yeah. small small business men and women um, and industry as people like to talk as well um you've got to balance that off that that business sense that earning money and actually doing it in an honest way yeah and that's difficult it is but it, it is but then this concept i think kind of um makes it easier to understand because because it, I, I'll go back to tell a little anecdote. Anecdotes are good for podcasts, apparently. So Chris Barrow and I are sat in Jamie's Italian restaurant. Oh, name dropper. Um, in Jamie's Italian restaurant. Jamie Oliver isn't there at the time. Oh, okay. And, um, but we sat in Nottingham in Jamie's Italian restaurant in the early days of coaching with Chris Barrow yeah, yeah. when I first started. Yeah. And so if I tell you that when I... Um, when I started out doing implant dentistry, and certainly when I started out in the practice that I'm in now as the associate, um, all, all I would do with patients when they came in for treatment is I would say, um, yeah, you need implants, uh, you need an implant in the upper front tooth, um, I'll send you a letter telling you what it costs, and not look at them in the face when I said that, because I hated the money thing. And so I would, the patient would go, I would send them a letter, and if they contacted us, I'd put them an appointment. And that's not a very sensible way to work in a business um, because people who are actually interested in treatment will, for a start, will look at that as very poor service. So you can dress it up and say it's really ethical to do that, but it's not actually ethical because you're letting them down. So to say to them, would you like to come back to have a chat about it when you've had your letter so I can explain it? They would say yes a lot of the time. And so it, it, it pushes out. So anyway, that's what I was doing. And we started to have a conversation with Chris Barrow, who I, guess, I suppose... People, one of the most famous business coaches in the dental industry, I guess, and some people would look at him and say, I don't like that whole sales thing or that whole business thing. Um, and of course, you're always in sales, whether you think you are or not, right? And um, 
but the way the anecdote goes is that Chris is trying to explain to me that you're actually always in sales call and even if you think you're not and I'm resisting this going no I'm on a pedestal I'm an ethical dental practitioner I don't have to talk about money even if I go bust and he got cross and just as everybody went quiet in the restaurant and it was deathly quiet like American Werewolf in London he shouted at me you think sales is an STD (laughs) and everybody looked around and it became a, a big opening thing because I thought I need to get a handle on this because it's a disability, really, that I have. Um, because I have this mental fiscal drag thing going on, which people, some people understand and some people don't, where my head is telling the patient it's a thousand pounds, but my and mouth is telling them it's seven fifty. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Right. That sounds expensive in my head. And How my can head you just advise your patient. And so I had to develop a strategy. And so when I thought about it and thought about it really deeply and went into it, and, and I have thought about this an awful lot, probably much more than I should have done. The um, um, it, it came. I then realised that if you have a dental business which doesn't make a profit, you don't have a dental business. You're unethical. Yeah. Oh because, yeah. Very much so. Because your profit and a significant part of your profit should be reinvested for the benefit of your patients via the technology, the team, the environment, the the, the compliance, the safety, all of that. So if you are if you have a business that is just making it at the end of the month and no more, and you can't buy an autoclave or you can't do this, then that's a problem. Um, and so so you do have to make money, but you have to make it in a responsible way because you work in a responsible industry, allegedly. And so asking people to position themselves on Pretix on, on the linear analog scale, which is Pretix on profit on the left and, and ethics on the right, and saying and as and a one to ten and saying where do you sit on that scale you know you because you what do you want to hit do you want to hit five do you want to hit right in the middle but where do you think you are and and that's one interesting exercise to do but the interesting one is for someone else to plot you on it yeah so there is some research to show so as as an associate i will probably grade myself as more ethical than my principal right okay that's interesting. It is. Whether you are or not, yeah. you will always feel that you're more ethical than some of the people around you. And and that also comes from the fact that, so I feel, I do feel qualified to talk about this because I was an associate and I think quite a good associate, certainly financially for 11 years. Um, and then I was a principal and I've now been a principal for, well, that was 12 years an associate and nine years a principal. If that principal is still a thing. And um, so that, there's a very different viewpoints there because the principal is always concerned about the money and the associate is not. No, certainly, certainly not. So the associate is not always concerned about the money with regards to the overall business. Yeah. The yeah. associate is probably concerned about what's going into their bank accounts at the end of the month. Yeah. But it takes a, as an associate, I think it takes a good associate to understand that actually they are just a small cog in a very large machine. Yeah, it, that would be unusual. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and so, probably, yeah. Because everybody's interested in their own self-interest. Yeah, yeah, right? and, and, but, I mean, one of the things you can measure with Prethics and one of the things you can look at with Prethics and use as an explanation is the associate contract. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's just not sustainable in dentistry uh, in independent practices to, to 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 stick to historical associate contracts, it just doesn't work. So you're saying fifty percent? As a, um, and I'm not a business owner in the in the, in the fact that I am an associate and I'm I'm not a principal, and there's no no way that I would be a principal certainly in the near future. Um, Ooh, 
Spoiler. Uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> um, I, from a purely business point of view, how can you cope by giving away half of your money it's coming not in? It's not half of your profit. It's half, half of your, your turnover. Money. Yeah, it's half your turnover. I, I, get, I guess we've explored this. I, I think that our team have explored this in more detail than almost anybody else in dentistry in the United Kingdom. And, and I, and I, some people may come back and prove me wrong, and I hope they do, because I'd always love to discuss this with people. But let me give you an example um, of where we've got to with this, because um, if, you, if you build a financial model of dentistry um, with associates as, as, as income generators, um, you would, first of all, in your financial strategy, you would set your, 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 your profit level that you seek to achieve in your business. So if you were a £2 million turnover business in dentistry, which is quite a big turnover practice, mm-hmm. right? It would be reasonable to set your profit level in that business at something around, say, 27, 28%, something like that overall, right? And this was sort of a financial lesson, but this is, I, I saw this as my responsibility to understand this ethically in the prefix model. So the reason you set it at that level is because that's the level that works to give you a 10% residual profit after tax and dividends, right? Yep. And so that is a safe level. That's mm-hmm. a, a pretty safe level for a robust business to be able to react, reinvest, react to things that go wrong, uh, maternity, sickness, uh, just unusual events. And so it's secure. So that provides continuity for your patients. So if you then are looking at your associates, mm-hmm. what you want your associate to do after they're paid and cost is to produce 28% yeah. profit, right? Yeah. That makes sense, doesn't mm-hmm. it? So this is a... This will probably go out after it goes out on the blog, but this is a brand new invention, this metric. nobody I've never seen anybody do this. Never. Nobody understands this. The problem then is that if you examine carefully your associate profitability... Um, just a word to my boss, please. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> there, are, there are very, very few people who ever get near that, right? And so in truth, what's happening is... And I know this from the business course that we run and from doing this work with dentists when they come in, is that in general, independent dental practices and the principles, they have no idea, right? And that is unethical. They don't know what the practice is doing. So that's actually a really good point. When you're thinking of an ethical dental practice, our first thought is ethics in relation to the patient. Yeah. And actually, no, it's there's much, much more than that. You've got a whole ethical responsibility to 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 the staff that you work with, um, for the business itself. Because if if you can't turn a certain amount of profit in order to keep that company going, then your patients are going to suffer, you're going to suffer, the people that you work with are going to suffer. And the quality of treatment that you give will suffer. And therefore, you get this kind of almost snowballing effect where you get a slight dip and it, it becomes worse and then it becomes worse well, and it becomes worse. If, you, if we go back to um, the story about the dental practice board in the 1990s yeah. when we were tripping down there as VTs and, and they, yeah. they pushed out the probity people and the probity people said to you, we know what you do and we know what affects you. And they would say, if we put the price of a crown up by five pounds, then the amount of crowns that are claimed for goes up exponentially. Um, and they told us that and they showed us that and that's the thing. And then we would all go, well, it doesn't matter to us. We would only do what the patient needs. And they go, no, you don't. You do what you get paid for. And that's a perverse incentive. And so then the issue of perverse incentive then tracks back into this 
this associate contract issue and the profitability in the practice. So if my practice is not making enough money, whether I like it or not, I'm going to be incentivized to look at patients in a way that's different to where practice that's making enough money. And so if you haven't set what enough is in your business, if you haven't said, we would like to make this much, then you'll just continue to try to make more and more. And then you'll be on a treadmill model of generation from patients as much as possible. And so that comes in then to the, to the, to the question of, should you just salary associates? That's a really good question. So the associate contract, as, as it stands, is, is generally a bit dubious anyway. It's under review from HMRC, as we know. Yeah, massively. Um, and there are benefits from being self-employed, definitely. Yeah, huge benefits. But there are also drawbacks. There's huge benefits to the practice. Uh, I suppose there are, yes. Because yes. the pays you earn stuff yeah, yeah. and the indemnity yeah, yeah. stuff yeah. and all of that Your stuff. Vicarious liability. Really expensive. Yeah. Very. Um, but as an associate, if I knew that I was going to be getting X amount per month, it would make my life a, a, a lot easier. But you would work less. Uh, yeah. But the, Back to perverse incentives. Yeah, you exactly. Think you, so you think you wouldn't. Yeah. And that's the thing. Uh, and we've talked about this before. Everyone thinks they're ethical. And mm. everyone thinks they up, they uphold a certain ethical standard. But, yeah. but that is very fluid. So what happens when you have the conversation with associates about salarying them? In my experience, mm -hmm. and we have done this, is that they say, well, as a 40% associate, I was earning this. So I'd just like to earn that as a salary, please. Yeah. So if you give them that as a salary, and this is directed towards associates and not in any way criticizing associates, but so they understand, then I have to pay the pay as you earn, then I have to pay the yeah. national insurance, yeah. then I have to pay for indemnity, then I have to pay for... And and so you can, as a salaried associate, make the same as a, in, in terms of that productivity mm. as, a, as, a, as, a, as a percentage associate. And therefore, you'll say, well, I just want to earn the same money. I want to earn money. And so then it, that model has to continue. But you quite rightly say there, the thing that will break that model is HMRC. Yeah. Right? And so uh, we are talking about pre-ethics, I promise. It's just, <laughs> this takes us to a really interesting point here in the ethical thing. Because when HMRC break this model, because I don't know what you've bought in the last year for your job, right? But you're going to have to buy a lot more oh, yeah. if you want to be self-employed, yeah, yeah. right? And so my father was my father. My dad was a motor mechanic. I was putting my posh podcast voice on there. Um, my dad was a motor mechanic. And motor mechanics just every week, they buy tools. tools. Or every week, right? And they're not self-employed, right? And they spend their wages. The snap-on van comes around. Yeah, it yeah. opens it, shutter up. They buy their tools. And dentists hardly ever buy their tools and the HMRC are just and they've already all of these letters have gone out mm -hmm. and they're collecting information and they're asking for voluntary submissions at the moment and they're, everybody's going I'm not giving them a voluntary submission give or not the matter because the process has already begun and they'll just shut it down and then you guys are going to come back you guys associates are going to come back and say say well what are you going to do for me as far as a contract is concerned and, and that that's going to be a really interesting issue and then that that's where the the prethics, the, the having to make money as a business but doing it in a reasonable, sustainable and healthcare ethical way becomes a massive big thing because you need to design a model that works then and it has to work for everybody so as not to disincentivize someone from being ethical. And you have to think that certainly over here, I was having a conversation with 
I can't remember. It was either Jason Smithson or Alan Mead mm-hmm. um, over over here. <laughs> similar, yeah, <laughs> similar kind of people. Um, that over here we are very much healthcare professionals first. If you go over to America, it's completely the opposite. They almost see dentistry as separate from healthcare. Mm-hmm. So the way that they approach their business in an ethical sense is very very different. It's as a cosmetic type of person that yeah. would probably probably approach their business whereas we are looking at for me dentistry is first and foremost healthcare and so welcome to the battleground yeah exactly that you've got these the battleground yeah. the bat- this is the battleground the battleground is do we aspire to be uh, a subspecialty of medicine do we want to be medics or or associated with medicine and all that goes with that good and bad or are we happy to be on the other side associated with uh, facial aesthetic practitioners um, essentially beauty therapy practitioners and cosmetic practitioners um, who, who have customers which is an entirely different issue and, and that's it's okay to be one or the other but we can be both no, and I think to a certain extent, there's there's maybe um, we could subdivide that. Well, we could divide the profession up almost into two, couldn't we? Yeah. You could you can you can be this or you can be this. If you want to be healthcare, be healthcare. If you want to be icing on top, be icing on top. But let us be healthcare mm-hmm. and let us do what we do as healthcare. Yeah. Too much crossover though for that ever to be successful. It is, and it's and this is me just. With my slightly left-leaning reasoning, it, it, it seems like a shame to waste such a, a training on the icing on top. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think that's left-leaning. I don't think it is. I, th- I think it... The, the, I mean, there is an issue as to whether we, you and I are becoming dinosaurs and we're yeah, yeah, going to be swept true. away by a, by a tribe of Instagram white teeth. Right? <laughs> but of course... A, 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 a good a good example of the business and prefics and ethics thing that goes forwards is this and this this could be I mean in theory this could be the longest podcast ever recorded because there's so much to talk about but but um but we're just exploring the issue of how 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 business smashes against ethics in the middle and what's left behind so from my from my work let's just talk about guided surgery guided implant surgery okay so guided implant surgery is a very good metaphor for this because. In, in essence, it can be a very, very good tool for planning and for executing implant placements and implant surgery and a very good training tool and a very good way for people who haven't done thousands of dental implants to understand the ability to do that. But it is sold a lot of the time on the basis of, don't worry if you've not done anything, you can just put it in a CT scan, buy a guide and drill a hole and it'll go yeah. in. Right? <laughs> and that's all fine until it goes wrong. Mm. Right? And so you don't need a lot of surgical experience to be able to put a flapless implant in. Okay, that's great. You shouldn't do that anyway, but that's a different story. But um, but the question is, then what happens when it bleeds? Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And so what happens when it bleeds? And and then the question is to the guy who's sitting in front of you, who's saying to you, "Why not you this use this new product that you're not really that trained to use, but we've just patented it and it's great." And you say to him, "Well, who who would do your treatment? Who would do your wife's treatment?" And they go, "Oh well, you know, you know when when." Uh, you know when the when the prime minister needs a cardiac bypass, she's not going to she's not going to an SHO in general medicine who's just practicing and trying out to have it done. You know that's going to be high level, right? 
And so that's that's the ethics of it, isn't it? The ethics Definitely. of it is it's what's good for one is good for all. Very much so. But it's okay because I have um, an easy and simple way for you to continue with your practice as it is, but make an incredibly higher rate of profit. You, you currently use Implant Brand X yeah. for most of your um, most of your implant surgery. Yeah, I have here a, an exact replica of Implant Brand X, slightly different name, but it's a bit cheaper. Yeah, so just just swap it in; it's fine. They do the same thing. Just go with it, and yeah. it will be okay. So that so that's well done. That's the conversation that's happening. Smooth. Every smooth transition. Every single thing we talked about that before. <laughs> Every single day, right? And not only that, that that's likely to be offered to you by um, by the same supplier. Potentially, you could be. You could, they could say, "Why don't you just switch to this cheaper version of this or this?" It's not quite the same, but it's, a screw's a screw. Right, that's 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 the, that, that's a classic. Or, or if you're a corporate uh-huh. and you're you're working in corporate, yeah. in in the big one of the big corporates. Well, over that composite. This this composite is composite. Yeah, you know, okay. it's all the same. It's made the same. So it's probably made in the same factory. So 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 the answer to this is because you're under extreme pressure. If you're a, if you, if you are a dentist, listen to this. You're under that pressure all the time, all the time. And the answer to this is. Um, uh, to me, the way I reconcile this is the is, is the Andre Schroeder um, adage, and and I, adage, and uh, I don't. I, I hope I haven't. I'm not repeating myself on here, but the uh, Sandy Schroeder was the founder of the ITI and and the inventor of what is now the Stroman Dental Implant System. Although it was the ITI International Team for Implantology Implant System, um, and and the ITI was founded in 1980, and he put the first of these implants in in 1972, I think. Um, but what Schroeder would say is he would say. Um, if someone offers you a new product or 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 procedure, it has to be clinically proven to be better than you're currently using, yep. or clinically proven to be the same and cheaper. Okay, and this was he said that 30, 35 years ago. Okay, and there is nothing that has happened since I found that out in nineteen ninety eight, ninety nine. I've never seen anything that's changed my view on that being absolutely correct, and so. The answer, Mister Implant Man, over the table there. Thank you very much. Is is the system, is the thing that you're offering me clinically proven to be better than that which I'm using? So the problem with that is because there's such a uh, maybe I don't know about the world of implants, but certainly with the world of things like composite and bonding, bonding agents, there's such a quick turnover mm-hmm. in uh, generations of mm-hmm. materials, say that it's very difficult to get that clinical backing the, ev- the, the the evidence to say right, this is best uh-huh. so we're in a bit of a difficult situation actually because we don't know we could have uh, a new composite because i use composite um, use what is com- it? yeah composite no, it's, kind of, <laughs> it's um kind of white white sticky Ooh, stuff yeah you have that? set it with a hairdryer the same as amalgam it's almost exactly the same right, okay exactly. but imagine, imagine amalgam with tipex oh right yeah got, got it, it yeah got you um you use your composite and you're you're using X composite and using X bond and then the only information you're going to get is from your rep that comes around that is useless let's be honest Um, you may as well not have them around and I think that's probably a conversation we should have at some point that's what's happening you know the buying the the buying online of large volume dental products is How the the information isn't there for us to make a, a real good informed judgment on whether we should be switching to com, uh, composite Y or whatever. Then don't. 
Exactly. Then you get the situation as an associate. What if your higher-ups say, actually, no, we can't do that? So where do you draw the line where, say, you've, you're, you're now an associate and your principal, who you probably think is less ethical than you are, yeah. um, has switched to a d- different brand, has expected you to follow, follow on with it, even though you don't feel that that's the right thing to do? So these are difficult um, situations. So to, to switch um, gloves or hand towels, is perhaps one thing, but to switch something. Uh, so if you work in a in a behemoth mm. in a five hundred practice yeah, corporate, yeah. then don't. Um, right. So, so or, or or even the five practice corporate, or don't or suck it up. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They they are your two choices, aren't they? They are. Or so, get some nice stuff yourself and use it yourself. You could do that as an associate. Right, it's could which do is, that. Which probably not allowed because it probably has to go through their cosh system or their whatever system. It's probably got a <laughs> huge compliance issue associated with that. But yes, what you have to do is disagreeably find a solution. So so it's, oh, it's really easy for me, isn't it? It's really easy for me to say that because none of that's ever happened to me and <laughs> I never worked for a guy who, who used, you know, we used to have to sellotape the suction pipes together and stuff like that to make them work, right? And so, um, so I've, I've seen that you, you have to, there are times when you have to do the right thing mm. and that's difficult mm. and it pushes you outside your comfort zone. When I wanted to start placing dental implants in the day when there was no evidence for dental implants and I luckily fell in with the Strowman system at that time, I went to my boss at the time and said, I, I want to start putting dental implants in. I'll come in on a Saturday. You're not open on a Saturday. Uh, I'm going to buy the kit myself. I just want to rent the surgery. And he was like, uh, right, okay. Right? Because uh, he had already said, I'm not buying any of that implant stuff because mm-hmm. that's a flash in the pan. It's going to be rubbish, right? And he, you know, he was visionary. Yeah, he was a flash in the pan. It was never going to work, right? And uh, and look, hey, look what happened. And um, and I bought the kit myself. Mm-hmm. My father-in-law actually gave me the money and bought, uh, loaned me the money. And um, and I and I spent six and a half thousand pounds in 1998, I think it was, on the kit. He bought a house back then. I know, clearly, it's like several houses yeah. in, in, in Nottingham. And and then soon as he saw. The patients I booked in, he came back and gave me the money for the kit. Put oh, me that's in, interesting. Put me in okay, right. And he he did fantastically well in the next ten years or so of that. Before I, not long before I left that practice, I was about to try to buy a CBCT scanner myself wow. and install it, and give my boss half the money for the scans so that I could have the CT scanner. Right. So it's not easy for me. It's not. I just. I just paid 60,000 quid for a new CBCT scanner because I thought the one I had was actually verging on an ethical. So, um, so we have to, uh, we have to make tough decisions and it has to be difficult. You can't, it's, it's, you can't be a victim and just do that. Well, I've got no control over it. No, no, no. And I think there is, there is an end to that tether, isn't it? When, yeah. when you are seeing that, um, from an, again, associate's point of view, when you're seeing that the, the patients and the staff that you work with are suffering because of other people's decisions. You have to either say, right, I'm going to step up and I'm going to make this better myself. Taking money out of your pocket for no, literally no thanks from the mm-hmm. people who are enforcing those limitations As a on you. Before you go somewhere else, because if you find yeah. yourself, oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. If you find yourself in a place where you're having to buy your own composite because there is no value. In, in, you, in you within the business uh, to say to you I understand that you are a good ethical practitioner you want to work in this way and you haven't been able to put together a business case mm. 
for the composite because if they say to you that composite's too expensive, say put your prices up, your composites are too cheap. So let's pay the real price for food. Let's pay the real price for cars. Yeah. Let's pay the real price for dentistry, right? So the real price for a dental implant is not six hundred and ninety nine pounds, and the real price for a for for a for an extraction on the old fee scale was not ten quid. Right, that wasn't the real price. That was just the price it was given. The real price from from eating pineapples on Christmas Day is not two pound ninety nine from Tesco. That's not the real price. Right, that does that doesn't take into account the guys that are being butchered and brutalized to produce it or what it's doing to the if the, the planet to ship it. And so let's pay the real price. And if so, if if you're charging twenty five quid for a composite and you're being asked to use rubbish composite, yeah. then go to the practice and go. Why don't Why don't we offer patients a more expensive composite that's better? Yeah. And if they say no, then buy your own while you're on your three months notice period till you go somewhere else. Because God knows it's an associate's market. Uh, yes, it is. And there are so. jobs for associates that are interested in doing good work. So this is us talking about our nice, happy world of private dentistry. Yeah. Look at the NHS. Yeah. Look at that exact situation that's happening now. How can you value a system where you've got three bands, either that you have... Uh, minimal treatment, some treatment, or an extra bit of treatment. When when you've when, got that middle band, is all the treatment. When I've not thought about this for years, right? I was on the General Dental Practice Committee in the early two thousands, and when the, the contract was to be enforced upon us in two thousand six. So remember what happened. This is prefix again. What happened was that we were given a year of all bets were off. Do whatever you like. Here's the money. Don't worry about it, we're not counting anything, right? We had this extraordinary year with a high trust environment with the government where they said, effectively, everybody's on capitation. There's the money for the practice. Do what you Stay. like. It was extraordinary, right? I I had, as luck would, I am hapless and attract crisis together at all times. I had, as luck would have it, given up my 6,000 patient or whatever it was list about a year earlier, right? Um, and and to do oral surgery. So I had no NHS contract. So I was going to say I got no money. Um, <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not better. And, um, and, um, but I watched my colleagues in, in an 11 surgery two-site two practice do nothing, right? Nothing for a year. And the government measured that because you had to report your lab bill and the labs all went out of business and nobody did a crown or a chrome denture for a year, right? And so they came in and said... Here you go. Here's a really, really, I'm sorry, Dorothy, shit contract, right? Here's a really shit contract for you, you bastards, right? And as we were looking at that contract from a political point of view, because I was still involved with dental politics at that stage, the discussion was, do you know what? We're not having that. That's really rubbish. So, yeah, we've made a mess of it. And they then made a mess of it. Mm -hmm. So let's meet somewhere in the middle. And the discussion was, let's not do NHS dentistry on a Friday, right? Okay, okay. Let's just not do it on a Friday. Yeah. Because most of the guys in this room don't work a Friday anyway. Right? <laughs> and a lot of dentists do half a day on a Friday. So for a big splash and for minimal impact, let's 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 say to the government, we disagree with this, but we're not going to harm our patients overtly, but we're cutting twenty percent of our NHS down. Mm -hmm. Right. And nobody would do it. Because the profession would not do uh, it's it. It's hurting cats, isn't it? They would not unite. They no, wouldn't no, do no, it. They no. wouldn't stand up, right? So they wouldn't They wouldn't stand up for it. So so it's the, thing, the, the, the point I'm getting to in a laboured way, mm. be it your mum, for an apology. Sorry, mum. Is to... Is to, is to uh, can I call her Dot? Dot, no. dot is, yeah. Is dot, good? dot Dot is better. Okay. Um, is, um, <laughs> is that... What we do in NHS, if you're... If you're suffer 
you can be a hero and a martyr in NHS dentistry, and you can. And I did, and I was. And I, 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 my conscience is clear because I did tons and tons of work developing things in the National Health Service. Um, but there comes a point below which if we still accept it, we are complicit in what is provided. And that's an ethical situation that needs addressed. It is, but... And that is absolutely right. The, the issue, again, is to, in order to change it, we need some kind of coherent gathering of oh, we do. A strategy dentists yeah, together yeah, yeah. who say, do you know what? Are we having a core service? What happens if we have a core service? What do we take out into outside of the core service? What message do we send? How do we resource it? What happens, right? Because we all know that what we would really like is to take the money that we've got at the moment and spend on the people that need it. Yes. And say to the middle class, do you know what? You can have Sky TV or a Skoda estate or health and you get to decide. But nobody's going to do that. Uh, No, that would not. I'm going to say that would not be a vote winner. No, well, do you know what? For anyone. For anyone. That's the problem. And it's all about short term votes. Exactly. Four years time. Because it comes back to the linear economy and the cycle. And it's just. uh, So so we don't solve a solution here, but we're talking about it ethically. And if we're talking about it in an ethical paradise, right? Then, then basically what we have to do in NHS dentistry is we have to go, do you know what? Um, I'm going to have to opt out of that, right? Because, and at some point it'll have to fracture and break and for another thing to be fixed. I mean, the system is pretty broken as it is really, but it has to get a lot worse. And I think well, that's that's the problem. I I, I, I had a, a contract to provide um, oral surgery and orthodontics uh, up until about three or four years ago in, in Derbyshire. And when it came to towards a retender process, when it became absolutely obvious what was going to happen. So uh, we were running an ethical, successful business that was profiting mm-hmm. and allowing us to invest in our team, invest in our equipment, do the way we wanted to do and provide a brewing service, which incidentally was already 66% less expensive than it had been when provided in the hospital. So we'd already saved the NHS 66% of the cost of the same treatment. We were 33% of the cost. Um, and it was obviously going to be cut, slashed again. And so um, I decided... That I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't do that because what they would then ask me to do would be provide poor care using poor clinicians and a poor team, yeah. And and because that's the only way that the model would have worked without without going off that prefix scale, without mm-hmm. going off going off. So all I would, I was being pushed and pushed to the ethics end of the scale, yeah. To say, yeah, 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 ah, yeah, yeah. keep doing it because it's healthcare. Yeah, Please keep doing it because it's healthcare, right? I know we've not got any money, but you have to keep doing it because it's healthcare. We have to get to a point where society needs to decide what it wants to spend its money on. And that's at least part one of Prefix. I'm sure we'll come back to that again on another Incisive Decisive. That's it for another episode of Incisive Decisive. If you like what we're doing, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast provider of choice. If you've got a question for us, want to give us any kind of feedback, then there are loads of ways you can contact us email us on info at incisivedecisive.com we're also on twitter at incisivepod and we're on facebook as well do you spread the word tell your friends colleagues and everyone you know about what we're doing our intro music is grave robber by gallops listen to more of their stuff at gallopsgallops.com we'll see you all on the next incisive decisive next time on Incisive Decisive. Recently I saw Bohemian Rhapsody, but I'm not sure Freddie Mercury was a professional. 
Whether we like it or not, we are still dentists outside of work. You know this relationship's not going to last for much longer. <laughs> but the um, We're going to have the child to keep us together. That's the way it works. Yeah, yeah, hopefully. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hope so. Yeah, stay together as a child. <laughs>